Praise God. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. Uh, I've known what Ironman has been doing for a long time, and it's, it's amazing the work because I believe the, foundational for the foundation for the church to be what God intended it to be requires men to come together uh, to understand the word of God together, to understand in its context and its value and, its, and, and, and to actually lead and take the forefront. So I think that's vital. So ministries like this are just amazing. And I applaud them. As I went through this, the, the book, I'm going to take a, a way around to get to the treasure chest. Because I, I want to talk to about um, the, the word of God in itself uh, when understood, right? The word of God uh, was what God left for us to fully understand who he is and that the spirit of the writer, the Bible says the word was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And when we get saved, we get this beautiful thing happens, right? Jesus said, if I go, I'll pray the Father who'll send you the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. When we read the word of God, the spirit of the writer, the Holy Spirit, lines up with the spirit of the reader, what lives inside of you. And that's called the illumination of the scripture. We start to understand what God is saying so that we can apply it to our daily lives, that we can apply it in our communities, that we can see God do transformational things inside of us and let that echo beyond our own life. A true life is not just what we do here, what echoes beyond it when we are gone. And uh, the word of God to me is a vital piece. So to, to go through the, the piece we're going to touch, which is the, the, the treasure chest, I want to look at a, a few things. First of all, to define through the scripture, uh, the sovereignty of God in the creation of you. How is God sovereign in creating you? And then from that, the sovereignty of God in the calling of you. How is God sovereign in calling you? And then the sovereignty of God in the work of you. What work did God call you to uniquely do? And that's where you get your, where you, what treasures, what things that he put inside of you to do the work that he uniquely designed you for. So in the sovereignty of God, I want to read a text that's uh, read commonly, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, beginning of what we, what we call the, the Bible. And it says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and was void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light in, and from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. This God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And so it was. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning was of the second day. The God said, let there be waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so, and God called the dry land earth. The gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw it was good. Lord, we ask a blessing to the reading of your word. Let no man be glorified, but let your word transform a life. In Jesus' name, amen. When we look at the beginning of creation, the reason why I always start in Genesis with most things, <clears throat> because it establishes the sovereignty of God and his patterns. Uh, when we see uh, in the beginning God created, and it's amazing because it says that God stood, the spirit of God hovered over the aquatics, over the waters that were, covered the earth, and it said that it was, it was void, which means it didn't have purpose, it was formless, which means it didn't have function, and yet the word of God went forth, and the very thing that was void now has, has been fulfilled, the very thing that was formless now has function because the word of God spoke, and the very thing that was void without function and, and formless, no purpose, had form and purpose. No difference than when you got saved and the word of God came to you. What were you before God met you? And when his word came to you, the very thing that was void now has purpose. The very thing that was formless now has function because the word of God causes life to come to whatever it touches. 
So now we see the, the, the creation of God, the formation of God, and his sovereignty to create based off what he speaks. His word alone is enough that he speaks, that even when our circumstance contradict our words, the words of God, it doesn't matter because the word of God is enough. So when we see this, this creation of how God forms and how God created, then he shows us something else. He shows us his sovereignty and love. <clears throat> the first words of your, your, your gospel are not in the beginning God loved. And it's in the beginning God created. It's in the beginning God created. And, and when we look at love, I have two daughters. And when they were in the womb of my wife, I, <clears throat> I couldn't hold them. You can't, you can't cheer for them. But you, all, what I could do, though, I did what I could do. I made a place for them. I prepared a room. We, my wife bought a whole bunch of stuff that we never used. And, you know, <laughs> I, just, I don't know what that was for. Ended up being on eBay. So we, just, so we, we, we prepared a place for them, right? Because so, I couldn't hold them. I couldn't just tell them that I loved them and laugh at them because they were still in my wife's womb. <clears throat> in the beginning, when God says, in the beginning, God created. And when you look at, the, when, you, when you read the gospel in its context, not just in the content, what it says, context, what it's pointing to, you have to ask yourself, well, if in the beginning he created, not he loved, he created. In that creation was the example of his love. Because ask yourself for the first 12 verses of Genesis, why did God create water when he does not drink it? Why did God create sunlight for warmth and light when God is warmth and life himself? Why did he create earth when he does not walk on because he walks in the parallels of eternity? Why did God create uh, vegetables when he does not eat it? Why did he create water when he does not drink it? He did that because he showed his love for you that he made a place for you before he made you. No difference than you made a place for your child before they came into this world. God created things that he never needed. You needed them. The creation was not about what God needed. It was about, I'm going to make something in my image, and based off what they will need, I created a place for them before I made them. So in the beginning, God created was the first actual echoing of not just his sovereign creation, but his sovereign intention to make something that required oxygen, water, land to walk on, and purpose. So in knowing that, that means in God's plan, God did not accidentally trip upon you being created. He intended your existence. He intended for you to exist. When COVID hit and people said, God, why? <clears throat> All throughout the Bible, every person, every man you admired went through difficulties yet held on to their faith. And some of them wavered and some of them fell, but they, they held to knowing who God is. If God planned you, that means that he looked at the span of time and said, during, during the time of COVID, I need men that will hold to my word, that would lead households, that will deal with political stresses, that will deal with job stresses, that will deal with poor economies, and I need men of God that will stand, and God chose you. So the negative that people viewed COVID on was actually something for the men of God and the church of God to stand up and be witnesses and examples for and stand on knowing we're being shaped by God and we were made for this moment. But you were made for the moment you exist in. When people ask God why, you were made for the moment you exist in. So the sovereignty of God is seen in creation. His love is seen in creation. In creation, the first questioning of God being real is, is, is seen because of the first words. The first words of your Bible is Bereset Elohim, in the beginning God created. And it's the very thing that we question today because people believe creation came through gases and explosions, right? I, lo I love that theory. That's, look how desperate the world is to deny God when you actually think that gas has enough intellectual properties to create billions of life species. But they fight that. But I said Elohim. The reason, they, the reason they fight that, the reason that's the, 
the main thing that they were teaching in schools, the reason is it because they're trying to rob God from his creative design or his creative authority, or they're trying to rob God or humanity from the knowledge of who God is. Because if you can do that, if I can tell you and prove to you that God did not create us, I can actually deny the purpose of a Christ coming. Remember back in the day when you go to the store, when I grew up, you go to the store and you bought a soda and it had a thing on it that said redeem for five cents? Anybody remember those days? You buy a bunch, then you find a few, you crush them up, you go in there, you get enough to buy a candy bar if you get enough pieces together. So, (laughs) now imagine I go into a store and I grab the soda, but I don't pay for it. I run out of the store. Then I go behind the store and I drink the soda. And then I walk right back into that store and the guy saw me rob it and said, now give me my five cents. Is he going to give me five cents or is he going to have me arrested? He's going to have me arrested. Why? Because I'm trying to redeem something that I don't own. The reason people question God creating, because if God didn't create us, that means God does not own your existence. If God does not own you, he can't send a redeemer to save you because you can't redeem what you do not own. The, the whole concept of destroying God being creator is to say that God never created us so that Jesus you preach cannot be real because you can't redeem what you do not own and he never made us. So it's the biggest question text in our Bible. And it takes away from the created order of God. It takes away from men actually knowing who God is. So in, the, in his sovereignty, God creates and he, he causes, he shows his love because he made a place for you before he made you. He shows his divine plan that his intention was to create something that need these things to exist. And in his sovereignty, and in his power, and his will, and in his purpose, he then created you and I. He created you and I to exist. He created you and I for a reason. We're going to read Genesis 4, 2 through 7. I'm going to stay in Genesis, and then we'll move into the, we'll bring it around. Genesis 4, 2 through 7. I'm sorry, Genesis 2. Swap that over. Genesis 2, 4 through 7. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day of the Lord, that God made the earth and the heavens, and before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb and field had grown, the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But in the mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground, and the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now, the reason for the creation, the reason for the water, for the sunlight, the very things that God created that God does not need is now manifest, and it's the existence of humanity. And he forms them. He says he forms us. Now, he formed us from the dust. And as you imagine a dust pile, and he forms into a shape of a body on the ground, and yet it's just sitting there. It has possibilities. It doesn't have capability. It has legs, but it doesn't walk. It has a heart, but it doesn't pump blood. It has possibilities, but it doesn't have capabilities. And then God gives this amazing gift to humanity. He said, it breathed into him the breath of life, the neshama keh, the spirit of existence. I breathed into man, and man became a living soul. And all of a sudden, the reason why he made everything else is now manifest in this one person. Because of the fact that man's existence came from God, God breathed into man, God took what was in him, breathed it into man, is the reason why every man will live eternally. Whether you believe in God or not, you will live eternally. Whether you believe in God or not will decide where you live at eternally. But the reason why, why do sinners live forever? Because they were created through Adam and God took what was in him, the neshama K, and breathed it into man and made man a living being and the same eternal God that gave us an eternal aspect, we will all live forever. Knowing Christ helps us to decide where we will live at forever. And God does this creation. Now all of a sudden, the reason why he formed all these things 
is now manifest inside of a human being. And he gives Adam instructions. Adam, you're going to till the ground and name the animals and tend to my land. And you're going to be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the, the birds of the air and the, and the, and the, and the fish of the sea. And, and he gave man full dominion over a paradise that God created. And then all of a sudden the serpent comes and deceives. The greatest potential a human being has, Adam now has, which is to have a relationship with the God that created him. It's the greatest potential of the human existence, to know God. And all of a sudden, <laughs> Adam has this great relationship, and he knows God, and, and the serpent comes in. The serpent tells him, and the serpent, what does the serpent do? He contradicts God. Well, you can do everything, anything you want, yes, but we can't eat of that tree. Because if we eat of that tree, we'll surely die. And, and what did the serpent tell him? If you eat of that tree, you will not die. You will be like God knowing good and evil, or having the authority to determine what good and evil is. He contradicts God. How many times did it take for Adam to fall? How many times do you have to say it? One time. And Adam falls, and he, and he goes, Satan never attacked the person of Adam. He did not wrap himself around him to try to choke him out. He did not wrap himself around Eve to try to kill her. He never attacked their person. He attacked their potential. And the greatest potential a human being has is to be in a relationship with the God that created them. And Satan, the ways of man has not stopped. If we do this, we can be like God. We can be our own gods. We can make our own decisions. We decide what morality is. We decide what marriage is. We decide if same-sex marriage is acceptable. We decide all these things based on our own moral codes. And man's moral codes are flawed. And yet, Satan comes and he does the very thing. I'm not going to attack your person. Uh, it's not, I'm going to attack your potential, your ability to have a knowledge of who God is. And we see it happening in our country right now. The absolute assault on the character of God. Well, you can just marry whoever you want. Women, women, men, men. Why, why, why is that so acceptable? Because it questions the creative authority and the created order of God. It's a spit in the splite in the face of the living creator. So all of a sudden, this man he formed and shaped, as we're studying shape, the man he formed and shaped is now living contrary to his intentions. The beautiful thing of the gospel is that God calls us back into himself. Go to, let's go to Acts 8. Let's go to New Testament. Let's go to Acts 8. Now let's look at, how many here believe in Jesus Christ, except that Christ is Lord and Savior? Right? This beautiful moment happens. This beautiful moment. But God redeems us. And it doesn't make us perfect, right? Because we're still flawed. <laughs> I'm far from perfect. But man, isn't it beautiful to know that every day you wake up, and regardless of what happened yesterday, that God wipes away your yesterdays and begins to rewrite your tomorrows, that God speaks life into your existence to give you hope and help. The beauty of salvation is that it's not based off the perfection of us as individuals. It's based off the perfected sacrifice that Christ did for us. It's the beauty of our great salvation. What a wonder. Acts chapter 8. Go to Acts chapter 8. I'm going to read a story about, now, when we come into the relationship with God, the sovereignty of his creation, then we come into this relationship with God, and now we're required to have a knowledge of God in order to be able to function in the gifts of God. And the knowledge of God is important because it's something that oftentimes have gotten skipped, and people go right into using their talents when they don't have a relationship with the God that created the talent. There's oftentimes your talent will get you into rooms that your maturity can't keep you in. 
That your, your, your talent will, you're so good, come up here and play. You're so good, come up here and preach. You're so good, come run the business. And your talent got some, you someplace, but your maturity was not at a level to keep you there. So you lost the place, you lost the role, you lost the job, you lost the, the ministry. You, <clears throat> when, when God gave Moses, I wasn't, I won't go into this, I wasn't playing, but when God gave Moses the tabernacle and let him have a glimpse of what the tabernacle looks like in heaven, Moses created a tabernacle for a place where humanity can meet with divinity. He created a temple, tent of meeting, and he gave him an order to its structure. He said, everything has to be pitch black. When you walk in, the only thing you'll see is the candlelight of God. That candlelight of God was to represent the New Testament Christ, the light. The light dwelled amongst the darkness. The darkness represented it not. He was supposed to represent that light. So when the priest walked in for the sacrifice, it was pitch black, but all he could see was the light. Christ, the light of life, the light of men. The purpose of the light had one purpose. He walked to that light. The purpose of that light had one purpose. It was to light the communion table across from it. The communion table, a common union, where man would come into a common union in a relationship with God. And that light would light that table. And they had 12 stacks of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and man would now, from the light to the Gentiles, they would come to that communion table and man would have a common union with God. I'd have communion with God. That I would get to know him, learn of him. After communion with God, then he turned to his left and the altar of incense would be there. And then he can truly pray and worship God. Because he had communion with him and the communion came to the light. I am the light of the world. No man comes to the Father. Communion with God, but by me. And from that communion, we have actual worship, genuine worship. More than a song, a lifestyle that honors God. What happens is we skip the process and someone comes in, they're talented. I believe in Jesus. Instead of going to communion to know God, they go right into worship. And now they're leading everything and they have no idea who truly God is. They got a glimpse of a light and all of a sudden we're putting them in positions where their talent puts them in the room but their maturity can't keep them there. So they're, they're confused because they thought their gift should be enough. And it's not. Your gift is not enough. The anointing that comes in the gift from knowing God is what's required. We have to have communion with him. People ask me, <clears throat> I do a lot of young people coming out from pastoral schools. They like, go, well, I want a pastor. And I always say, you, you want to wash feet? You want to wash feet? I'm, that's, that's what parents, you want to wash feet? If you do, say yes. I want a pastor. Okay. <clears throat> do you, if someone else is going to get a bullet, do you want to step in front of it for them? Do you want to lead? Do you want to be a man of God? When we, when we understand the proper forms of worship, to know Christ and to have communion with him, common union, then we can come and our gifts and our talents can be used effectively because we can worship him through those things based off a knowledge of who God is. The challenges in Acts 8, we'll see it in Acts 8, Acts 8, 26. Now the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, arise and go towards the south along the road which goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went and behold a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch uh, under great authority, under Candace, the queen of Ethiop Ethiopians, who had charge over all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to do what? to worship. He was returning, sitting in his chariot, reading the I, Isaiah the prophet. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Uh, the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? Some of the most powerful words in that text. Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come upon and sit with him, 
In the place of scripture where it read, read, it read, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, a lamb before the shearers is silent. So he opened out his mouth, his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his, to the generations for his life is taken from the earth? Philip runs and finds a eunuch under the queen Candace. Candace is not a name, it's a title. It's like pharaoh, king, or priest. Candace is a title for a leader over the Ethiopians. And this particular Candace sent their eunuch to go and to worship. They made, because the Candace was a uh, female ruler, uh, those that served her had to be eunuchs, which means they had to remove the male parts of the male so there would never be a temptation for them to lust after their queen. And, and they're, now they're, they're traveling. It says he came to Jerusalem, so this eunuch heard about this, this gospel, this Jesus. Let's go to Jerusalem and let's worship there. So he went to the worship service, and he heard all the songs, and he sang all the songs, and then he had all this great time in days of worship and hearing about the works of Christ. He did all this worship in Jerusalem, and then when he got away, and Philip asked him a simple question, do you understand what you read and he says, no. So what were you singing all the songs for? What were you lifting your hands for? And yet you have no understanding of who it is you were lifting your hands towards. How is it possible for human beings to be in a position where we have worship without revelation? I have worship without communion with God. When you ask somebody, people, have, people find it very easy to answer questions about their church but they find it very difficult to answer questions about God. I tell the people in my church, I'm not here for you to be able to answer questions about our church and what we do. I want you to be able to answer questions about the Bible, to share the gospel of God. So he finds himself in a position where he's teaching this man and saying, you just had worship, yet you have no idea who God truly is through his word. And then Philip begins to teach him as he reads Isaiah the prophet about this Messiah will come, who will declare his name to the generations. <clears throat> Jesus fulfilled the declaring his name to the generations when he said to his disciples, if I go, I'll pray the Father who will send you the Holy Spirit. So I'm already taken from the earth. It doesn't matter. My Holy Spirit will come and abide inside of those that are called and that respond to me in faith, and then my work will be done through their existence. So now all of a sudden we see Philip realizing that, hey, there's, there's a concern with worship without revelation. Uh, people that have a knowledge of God uh, or, or worship God but don't have a knowledge of who he is and the knowledge of who God is is the foundational piece where our talents and our platforms for our gifts get utilized from. If you do not utilize your talents based off a of knowledge of who God is, you will utilize your talents and lead people the wrong way. We will make the mistake of having people... <laughs> we have to get out of the concept of the church's job is to create attenders. We're supposed to create disciples. You have to get out of the concept that I'm interested in counting head counts. I'll never forget the first time someone volunteered at our church and said, yep, I took the head count. I said, well, I didn't ask for a head count. I could care less of how many people showed up. How many people are in a discipleship class so we can teach them the gospel of God? Tell me that. I, I can care less who shows up on a, on, on a Sunday. Our job is not to create attenders. It's to create disciples effectively. Once we are being discipled from that platform, all of a sudden, the talents that God gave you. How many people in here uh, feel like you have the gift of talking or teaching that you can share? Awesome. How many feel like you have the gift of encouragement? You can encourage someone. You can, awesome. How many people here feel like you have the gift of administration? You can administer. You can manage things, put things together. Awesome. How many people here are detail-oriented people? Like you have stuff down to a, 
Praise God. By all these, I know you see a lot of us need some detail-oriented people in our lives. You need to sit around this table right here and figure it out. <laughs> right? So all these are beautiful things. All these are things that can transform the entire city of Winter Garden. But if all you do is sit on a Sunday and you don't come together and start connecting with some of these men to say, how do we change the city? How do we influence it with the gospel? How can you, if I, if I have an idea, how many people are creative people? Like you come up with ideas to do stuff. Like you just, uh, it's awesome. So we need the creative people to see with the administrative people so they can figure out how to function it, then give it to teaching people so they can know how to teach this process. And you, you, you have everything inside this room is what God needed for the church to be what the church intended to be. <clears throat> everything is right inside this room. Church was never supposed to be a service. It was supposed to be a people. The ecclesia, which means the called out. The foundation of our talents being used is to do the good work that God intended. I'm going to read one more scripture. Do I have time for another scripture? Where, where are we at? Okay. I want to show you that, number one, that you were called to use your gifts to do a good work. So go to 2 Corinthians 9. I'll read from here. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 10. And this is a, a verse commonly used when it comes to giving, but it's not talking about just giving money. It's talking about giving of what God invested into you. And we just saw a bunch of people raise their hands with different things that were invested into them. But this I say, he who shows, sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. He who sows bountiful will also reap bountifully. So let each of you give as purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or necessity, because God loves a cheerful giver. Let's stop there first. The idea of giving, this is not talking about just how you give money. This is talking about how you give what God put into you, whatever that is. Some of you gave business minds. Some of you, he gave administrative minds. Some of you gave people minds. You know how to talk to people. You know how to relate to people. Whatever he gave you. How do you now, how do you give that back to Winter Garden, Claremont, or the cities you're in? How do you give it back to your own family? How do you utilize that? And he tells them what not to do. Number one, you never give grudgingly. Never give saying, well, I got to do it because it's so-and-so. There's no honor in that. Never give, number two, he, he, he tells him to contradict the law. Never give of necessity. The law said you had to give. You've got to give. You've got to give 10% here, 10% there, and 2.3, the actual three tithes, which is 23.5% of your income. You have to give. And he says, no, don't give out of necessity either. Don't, don't do that. Give based off of love. And he's asking people to give based off the concept of why Christ gave. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave, he did what? Gave, right? For God so loved the world, he gave, which means the foundation of giving is based off of love. So he's teaching them a New Testament concept. Don't give out of that. Give out of love for God loves a cheerful giver. Let's keep reading. He, then he goes in verse 8. And God, here's the best part, is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. So it says, and God will make all grace, all graces, every area, even the areas you're weak in, he'll make all grace abound towards you, that you have all sufficiency in all things, not some, all things, to have an abundance. Now we have to say, what is the abundance for? I got an abundance for every good work. The abundance was never meant for us. It was meant to give to you in order to do a good work. So how do we find out these good works? What does my talent fit into the good works of God? How do I find these good works of God? How, how do I know God called me to do the good works? So go to Ephesians 2. We'll start in verse 1. 
Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, there's the beauty of God's calling from Adam, us being dead in our sins, us not being able to reach God, yet God showing his mercies and reaching us. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of this air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, Satan, the usurper who usurped in the garden. Verse 3, among whom all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desire of our flesh and the mind. And we were, nature, we were by nature children of wrath just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercies because of his great love, which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised up together and made us to sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not yourself. It is the gift of God. So now he talks about the saving grace. From the fall of Adam, the same sin and the same usurper. Satan, the usurper, separated humanity from divinity. Uh, God giving us a plan to restore that. The first gospel was, was not Matthew. The first gospel was Genesis 3.15, the Protos Evangelium. The first gospel was, I will send, the, you will bruise, I will send the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. The first promise that a seed would come that would defeat the usurper of this world and bring a kingdom to those that believe. The first gospel was Genesis 3.15. Now we see this, now we see he's, he's telling us how you, how you were saved by this grace. You were dead in your trespasses. And guess what? Dead people don't find anything. Ezekiel 37 tells of the state of Israel's spiritual formation. And he says, there's a valley of dry bones. And it was symbolizing the spiritual state of Israel. And he, and he tells them, can these dry bones live? And the bones didn't get up to find God. God breathed and the bones were giving life. In Ephesians, he's saying, you, you would dead your trespasses. You were saved by grace. It was a gift of God, not of yourself. So now we have the salvation piece, which is the foundation <clears throat> to utilize any gift. We cannot start believing that unsaved people, just because they said God in a song, should be ministering in our churches. Just because an unsaved person says God does not mean we put them on a platform they can't live on. I remember when I was younger, R. Kelly was big. And everyone had R. Kelly. We had his songs in church. His Christian, he does, he does an album uh, about all these horrible stuff, but he does one gospel song and we start praying it in church. And everybody's, oh, R. Kelly, he's giving his life to God, he's coming around. But then the whole time we're applauding him, he's molesting little children. Why? Because we let his talent put him in a door and his talent got him in a place that his spiritual maturity could not keep him in. So it's not about the talent. The first foundation is do you have a relationship with God? Based off that foundation, we build everything else. Now, these good works that he said we're supposed to be doing. Let's, let's keep reading to find these good works. Verse 10, <laughs> Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared when? Beforehand, that we should walk in them. The sovereignty of God is not saying, you're doing good, Brian. Let me create some works from you. Oh. <laughs> good job, buddy. I got some extra works for you to do now. 
The sovereignty of God says before you drew breath, before I created Adam, I created the existence of everything and I created my perfect plan and then I'm not trying to put a plan to you, I made a plan. I allowed you to be born during a timeline and let you be a part of the plan I already created. So God doesn't owe us anything. We're grateful that you are included in the plan of God. That God included your existence. That he said, when you were born, God said, I, I've got to have you be born this year, at this time, on this date, in this household, and you'll have some experiences that are bad. We talked about experience in the book Shape. Some of those experiences will be bad. But I will shape you in those experiences because I will use it for my glory to minister to someone else that other people can't reach. Some of your personalities could have been hard or prideful, but I'm going to shape you through that so you can learn who I am. Your, 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 your personalities can be different. Remember, the church was started by John and Peter walking together. John, who sits his head on Jesus' chest, and Peter, who rebukes Jesus when he thinks he's wrong. Two totally different personalities walking together. John, who when Jesus on the cross turned to, to Mary and said, Mother, that's your son. The John, the only disciple that Jesus said, that's, the, that's John, the disciple that Jesus loved, which is a Jewish colloquialism for saying my best friend. John, he's walking with Peter who denied Jesus three times, who's hard-headed, who, who, who tried to rebuke Jesus, but, but they're two different personalities. But you know what? You needed Peter's personality because he was stubborn enough to go against non-believers in a pharisaical system and speak. And you needed John's personality because he was soft enough to shepherd people when they came into the flock. So both of their personalities being different, they're both used for the glory of God, both used for the good works that God prepared beforehand. So our experiences and how we are shaped, our abilities are different. You saw just in this room, people raise their hand at different things. Our abilities are different. And the beauty of that is that God designed your ability and he designed you to be born in the timeline that you were born in with the abilities you were given to the homes you came through to use you in this season, in this epoch of time called our existence. And there's nothing wrong with being different. The worst thing you can teach someone is to try to mimic somebody else. Never live your life as a cheap carbon copy of somebody else. God made you unique for you, for the call he made for you. He gave you unique abilities. He gave you a unique personality. He gave you that. Now, there are things that we have to die to daily, right? We have, we have pride, amen, we have pride. We have stubbornness uh, sometimes. There are things we have to die to, but the uniqueness of your personality was shaped to use you for God's particular calling on your existence. Every person in here that believes in Christ is called. We just have to be willing to move forward. The fear of men is moving forward because if I fail, then what will people think of me? But if you don't try, what will God think of you? The greatest thing we have to get delivered from is we have to get delivered from other people's personal opinions. It doesn't matter what they think of you because the Bible says what God thinks of you. You are accepted in the beloved of God. It doesn't matter what people think of you. It doesn't matter if it looks cool or not. If it's, if it, it doesn't matter. If God calls you to do that, then do that. Team up with people in this room. Find someone that can help you. If you got an idea but you can't coordinate, this guy can coordinate. <laughs> There's a couple of people here that raise their hands. They can coordinate. Be willing to join forces to utilize our gifts so that we can see God's glory manifested in our daily lives, in our cities, and our communities. I'll read one more scripture and I'll close. That sounds like a bad preacher thing, right? I'm finna close. <laughs> That's horrible. It's horrible. Sorry. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. I'm finna close. Somebody land the plane. You know, someone. Yeah. <laughs> Luke chapter. I just want to show you uniqueness, how God can move, right? So we're, I'm teaching Luke in our, in our church. 
And we're a line-by-line church. We just got through the book of Acts. It took us two and a half years. Now we're on, we're on Luke. Um, so Luke is a unique gospel because Luke was someone that shouldn't have been used because he's not qualified. Your Bible, the Bible we currently read has 66 books. 39 Old Testament, 27 New. Your 39 Old Testament kept a consistent cadence. That cadence was kept by the Holy Spirit. He only allowed the scripture to be right, written by Hebrew authors. Direct lines of Israel. No one else wrote a book. The New Testament begins and he keeps the same cadence. Hebrew authorship. No one else writes a book. Hebrew line, direct descendants. Abraham, Moses, direct descendants. Everyone must be that to write a scripture. And then the Holy Spirit does something unique. A blur. Luke, the only Gentile in your entire book that ever wrote something called scripture. The Bible says he's not of the circumcision. He was not of them. A Gentile wrote scripture. And this Gentile didn't write scripture, just write scripture. Number one, he's the only one that gave us pre and post cross. I gave you the book of Luke to tell you about Emmanuel, who is God with us. Then I gave you the book of Acts to tell us about the paraclete of the pneumos theos, who would be God in us. He gave us both sides of the cross. Secondly, people say, well, Paul wrote most of your New Testament. That's actually not true. Paul wrote almost 13 epistles, the total of 41,800 words. Luke wrote two books, over 49,000 words. Luke wrote most of your New Testament. Your New Testament mostly was written by a Gentile. Never, ever written scripture before. No one has written scripture who is not in Israel, and yet he wrote them. And how did he write them? How did God manifest to him to tell him to write them? Did God show up in a cloud of smoke? Did God make lightning fall? How did God teach Luke how to write? Very simple. Luke 1. Insomuch as many have taken the hand to set in order a narrative, those things which have been fulfilled amongst us, just as from, from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers who delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account. The Holy Spirit didn't move on him with a lightning flash, a thunder, or rock. He moved on him with a thought. He said, I just thought that I should write an orderly. I didn't know I was writing scripture. I just thought. There was a thought in my head. And based off that thought, I did something that God intended for me to do. Sometimes we're waiting for God to give us another sign. Sometimes his, his, his simple movement is through our thought life. So don't think that you can't do something because you haven't seen a cloud move or you're waiting for God to do some sky writing and draw your name in the clouds and you know what to do. God can manifest in your thoughts. He can move in your thought light and give you an idea that can spark something. And then you take that idea and you share it with the men sitting around you. You share it with the men sitting right next to you. God, this is my idea. It might sound crazy, but this is my idea. This is my thought. This is what what I feel in my heart. What do you think? Can you pray with me about this? And then you partner with people that will pray with you. Luke wrote most of the New Testament, and he didn't do it like Moses did because God uh, made fire come down or God shook a mountain. He did it because he had a thought. And that thought manifests into God's intentions. I'll close. Based on the foundation of our salvation, the sovereignty of God of knowing who he is, the sovereignty of God of knowing that he created you, his sovereignty of the control of the timeline of the human existence, that you were born in a particular time, on a particular day, in a particular of some bad situations and bad circumstances, and those experiences that God brought you through, he's shaping you through. God doesn't bring you through a storm just to bring you through a storm. Does not bring you through a storm and watches you and say, there he's in the storm. He doesn't bring you through a storm just to bring you through a storm. You go through a storm because he shapes you through a storm. That who came out of the storm is stronger than he that came in. 
He forms us and shapes us in these experiences in our lives. When the foundation of that is set and we have an idea, a thought, a concept, God puts something in your heart, share it with the men around you. I don't care how crazy it sounds. Share it with them. Pray with them. Partner. And then take, now you can, now when the foundation of the word is there, all the gifts, talents, and all those things operate based off of a strong foundation. But if you start functioning on gifting without this as a foundation, then you will eventually fall. So I'm encouraging you today to go into your words, to study, to learn, and to not be afraid if you have a thought or an idea or something on your heart. Do not be afraid to share it with the person next to you. Do not be afraid to share it in this group of men and do not be afraid to move forward. And yeah, it comes with a price. <laughs> Everybody wants to be a warrior. Nobody wants to go to war. Everybody wants heaven. Nobody wants to die, right? It comes with a price. The price, that, the price that we pay for fighting for this thing. But man, it's worth every fight. Two weeks ago, we were... I was sharing with the Lake County Commissioners. I was going down there. I went down there in November. I started pitching to them an idea. I said, listen, I've got an idea. I just had a thought. I shared it with my wife. That was it. My wife always thinks I'm crazy. She's like, you are just dreaming too big. She always thinks I'm crazy. But I shared a thought. I said, imagine if we could create a model of affordable housing. And in that model, we said 30 to 40% has to be police officers, first responders, and hospital workers, and educators, since we are the lowest paid in educators. And out of, out of 50 states, we're 48th. Lowest paid educators. We're 48. The only ones beneath us is Mississippi and Utah. Everyone else pays educators well, except for us. Us and those two. I said, imagine we made a place for them where they can have affordable housing and then give them free mentors that will help them save to buy their own home. And imagine that we took people that live right in Lake County and we filled the rest up with people that lived and worked there for at least 18 months. So we're not importing people from everywhere, but getting people right here. Just an idea, a thought. And then I went to the commissioner's meeting in November and December and pitched a thought. I just pitched a thought. Why, why don't you guys take some of the opera funds and, and give it to us and we can use it for this? Why don't you? I pitched an idea. Create a grant process. It'll be fair for everyone. I pitched an idea. How much do you need? I need $3 million. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Two weeks ago, they just awarded me $3 million. From the idea. It's an idea. It's an idea. It's a thought. It's okay to have a thought. Even if it's outside of your abilities, it's okay to have a thought. <clears throat> And that good work that we're doing is not for me. I'm not getting a penny of the $3 million. We're going to build something that helps families and so model and then replicate it in every single city. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to, to, to be here and get to meet you. Thank you so much, uh, leaders of this great ministry, and, and, and God bless you. Love you guys, and what are awesome things you guys are doing. God bless. Yeah. <clears throat>